Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lelonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lelonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. So Psalm 90, we're going through our preaching series through the Psalms. We're not going through every Psalm, but we're doing a survey. And today we've gotten into the fourth book. In fact, the first Psalm in the fourth book. So Psalm 90, hear the word of the Lord. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have said our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are, they are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. All men are like grass and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Holy Spirit, we invite you. May you speak to us. May you transform your people into the kingdom destiny makers that you have called them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Yesterday, a great son of Africa was lost. Dr. Kofi Atta Anan. Dr. Kofi Atta Anan was Ghanaian, worked for the UN, career diplomat, very illustrious career at that. And he won, together with the UN, the Nobel Peace Prize. And when he retired, together with Nelson Mandela, they formed a, a group of elderly state, statesmen of the world, and they were called the Elders. I mean, when you look at his life, it's a life of accomplishments. It's a life lived to the full, one can say. 
And I don't know about you, but when I hear of people like those and I hear what they have done, I, I always wonder, is my life going to be like that when I die? I mean, will, will somebody say it was a life that was lived to the full? And especially as a Christian, would, would, would I stand before God and God really approve and say, yes, you, you did everything that I say that you should do. And I think that's something that each and every one of us must be thinking about. Because see, we will not live here forever. One day, we'll stand before our maker, the one who created us, and he'll want an account of our lives. And he expects us that we'll live our lives to the full. How does one live a life to the full? I think this passage clearly tells us, teaches us that faithfulness to God leads to a full life. Tell your neighbor, faithfulness to God leads to a full life. Tell the other one, faithfulness to God leads to a full life. And so what is it that we should know? about this faithfulness that leads to a full life. In other words, how do we come at a point that we actually will live our lives or can live our lives to the full? The psalmist shows us some things here. And the first one is that God is eternal. God is eternal, but we are temporal. God is eternal, but we are temporal. And so the superscript of the psalm basically says, it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. The prayer of Moses, the man of God. If this is the prayer of Moses and penned by Moses, it means this is the earliest psalm. That's what it is. And probably the occasion is when the children of Israel have come to Kadesh Barnea, and that Kadesh Barnea is where God had said, I want you to enter into the land, and Moses had sent the 12 spies. So he sent 12 spies into there to spy out the land. 10 spies came back and basically said, listen, uh, there are giants in the land. When we looked at ourselves and we looked at them, we were like little grasshoppers in their eyes. And so Moses, we shouldn't go in there and take that land. But there were two spies of the twelve that basically said, no, 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 no. If God said we should take over this land, then let's take over this land. But the majority report was the one that people listened to. The children of Israel listened to, and the children of Israel rebelled against God right there, and they refused to take the land. And right there, God said to Moses, listen, Moses, this generation is not going to go into the promised land that I promised them, but their children are going to do that. And so this would be a prayer then, Psalm 90, would be a prayer that is arise, arising out of that situation. That here is a nation that has failed. So this is a, a, a lament, it's a cry, it's a prayer, yes, but it's also a cry. It's a, a communal lament where Israel together is coming before God and asking and, and crying before God, God do something about our situation. And so a prayer of Moses, the man of God, and watch how the prayer goes, number one. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. When we look back to where we have come from, when we look back to the days of, of Isaac, the days of Jacob, Abraham, you have been our refuge. You have been our dwelling place. And I dare say that all of humanity, our dwelling place is God. There is no human being that was ever created that was never created by God. In fact, John, in John chapter number one, in his gospel, he says there was nothing created that was not created by the word, and he means Jesus Christ. And so all humanity has their, 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 their source, God, and their dwelling place to be God. He says, Lord, 
you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse number two says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's saying, listen, I, I, I know, I know, or we know that you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You were there before anything was created. Hallelujah. See, you and I need to be very careful, because this God that we're dealing with, this Jesus that we're dealing with, has always existed. There's never been a time he has not existed. He has always existed. Before there were the mountains, before there were the trees, before there was anything, he existed. And you know, it could actually be that this place, maybe 3,000 years ago, was not like this. You know, flash floods can happen in a place, isn't it? And can flatten a whole mountainous region. He says, before that happened, you were there. Before the creation, you were there. You are from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity. See, friend, God has no time. Amen. Amen. God has no time. God is not in time. Uh-uh. You see, with God, the past, the present, and the future, they're all one. God does not change. Hallelujah. God does not go through the process of change. God does not leave this moment, this minute, and then he leaves the other minute, and then he leaves the other minute. And so therefore, there can be the possibility of God changing. God is not like that. God is just there. You see, sometimes we bring God down to our level. Oh, can't you see? Don't you know? Really? He can't see? He can't know? I mean, he knows your future. He knows your future. He knows your eternity. He knows what you are about. And so here, there's understanding that God, you are eternal. He says, verse number three, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Now here, probably this is a pointer to the Garden of Eden. Because return, O children of man, literally is return, O children of Adam. And so if you remember, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they ate of the forbidden, the forbidden fruit, in that day, God pronounced a curse on them that you are going to die. Curse is everything that your hands have touched. Or curse is the work of your hands. Curse is the ground. Curse is everything about you. And to dust you shall return because from dust you have come. He says, it is God. It is God who says to man, return, O children of man. In other words, die, child of man. Hallelujah. Watch. You return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. He says a thousand years? Oh, it's like yesterday. You know, you have memories of yesterday. In fact, the closer you are to now, the fresher the memories, isn't it? He says with God, ah, yesterday is, is a thousand years is just like yesterday. He says again, um, in verse number four, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So it's just like a three hour period in the night. That's what it's like to you. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like a grass that is renewed in the morning. Now, who's he referring to? A thousand years? No, he's referring to the children of man. That they are like, a, uh, you sweep them away as a flood. They're like a dream. It's here. You know the thing about a dream? 
When you wake up in the morning, very clear, isn't it? And then as you go on into the day, ah, it starts fading. Probably by the time it's tomorrow, you've totally forgotten about it. It's almost like it never existed. He says, that is what human life is like when you compare it to God. That's what your life and my life are like when you compare it to the eternity of God. He says, again in verse number 6, In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and the evening it fades and it withers. So in the morning it's bright. In the morning it's looking all sprightly and, you know, it's got life in it. Oh, come to the evening. Ugh. See, that's us. See, sometimes we think that we will never die. In fact, if, there is, if you remember, if there's a thing that scared you when you were young, was the fact that you will die one day. Oh, it scared you, terrified you. You will die. And you know, that is the end of all of us. Again, the statistics on death are one out of one dies. Another 70 years, probably very few people in here will be alive would have all died. See, we come and we go. And if there's anything that will help us to make a full life or to make our lives meaningful is to hatch ourselves or, or tuck ourselves on to the eternal. It is only in the, in, the, in the presence of the eternal that our temporal makes sense. Without the eternal, our temporal, our time, our limited time on earth means nothing. And so here the psalmist is saying, oh, I know now, I, I realize that it's really about you. It's not really about me. In as much as God is in eternity, God also responds in time. In other words, he's not a God that is just so totally aloof that he has created the world and let it wind by, you know, like a, like a watch, you know, let it go by whatever machinations he has left there, by the laws of nature and gravity and stuff like that, and then he has just stepped back. No, 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 no. He's also a God who's involved. The eternity of God should give us an assurance that there is a God out there who is powerful, who, who knows everything, and he is our God. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, this man. Interrupter. So watch this now. The eternity of God means that we have a God who is powerful, all-knowing, yes, all-loving, and He's a God who is above what is happening here. I don't know about you, I love these theologies or doctrines of the, of the teaching of a great God, a powerful God, a God who's outside of time, a God who can do anything, a God who knows everything. Because it assures me that in my limitedness, in, in, my, in my being finite, in my not understanding things the way that I ought to understand them, there is somebody who's got my back. You see, to live a full life, Oh, you must know that God is eternal and that you are temporal, which also means you should know your limitations. Who knows better, you or God? 
that's no brainer. God knows better. So why is it then that you're doing things according to you and not according to God? Why? Ask your neighbor why. If you're only temporal and he is eternal and he knows all things, why is it that you're doing stuff according to you and not according to God? Here's the truth of the matter. Most of us here, we know what God expects of us in our lives. We know how we ought to conduct ourselves. We know what is the preferred will of God. And yet, we have lied to ourselves and stopped thinking of ourselves as only being here for a limited amount of time and only knowing so little, we can't even say so much, knowing so little compared to God. And in our idolatrous minds, we have chosen to bring down the eternal one from the throne and we have stepped out there as temporal ones thinking that we can make something out of our lives. To live a full life, you must know God is eternal. Number two, to live a full life, you must know that God is just. Verse number seven, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set your iniquities before, you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now here the psalmist again, remember, he has said that God says to the son of man, return, O son of man. Isn't it? O children of God, right? Return, O children of God. And that is uh, really a picture of the curse of death, isn't it? So why is it that man is cursed to death, or humanity is cursed to die, or separation from God? Because they have sinned. Because they have sinned, and because God is a just God. God is a righteous God. God will not look on iniquity, will not look on sin and let it slide. Not God. Everything that is sin is really an attack and affront on the holiness of God. And so the holy God will not allow there to be sin in the world and that sin go unpunished. And so then there is the anger of God on humanity. Hallelujah. You see, many times when we speak of the gospel, we're only talking about the good news, isn't it? Oh, you're going to be saved. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the anger of God. God is a very angry God, and He's been angry for a long time against those that sin. And He's waiting to pour out His wrath on those that have sinned. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I don't want to get near that God. I don't want to get near that God. Even when, when I'm on his good side, I'll, I'll, I'll run to the other side as he punishes you. But you see, watch what he's saying. He's saying, listen, God is an angry God. Verse number seven, angry against sin, against the sinner. But for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed, we are frustrated. Why? Well, because we didn't do what you said we should do. When you said that we should go in and take that land, we decided that, no, 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 no. Our safety is more important than your mission. We forgot that the reason you took us out of Egypt and, and, and you rescued us with a mighty hand to take the promised land was really about you. But now we've come at a point where thinking it's about us, so we will not enter into that land. See, the anger of God is not just against the sinner. The judgment at the end of the age. Oh no. The anger of God. The judgment is also for the believer who is disobedient. Hallelujah. Oh God judges. 
God judges. You mean he judges believers? Yes. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells the Corinthian believers that you guys, the way that you do your communion table, the way that when you come together and you are supposed to partake of the Lord's table, the way that the rich people go one side and the poor people go one side, he says, listen, that way you are not discerning the body of Christ. And if you do not discern the body of Christ, if you take the, the, the table of communion in a flippant manner, guess what? That's why some of you are sick and some of you have slept. Are they not Christians that have slept? They are Christians. How have they slept? They have died. Who has killed him? God. Why? Well, they won't do what he has called them to do. And so, they, God punishes them for that which they're doing, their disobedience. Now, God's punishment, you know, comes in several different ways. I mean, it can just be God's presence not being there. It can just be the provision that you need. God says, listen, I'm not going to enter into that. You'll find it by yourself. Uh-huh. It can just basically mean that, look, I'm, I'm not interested in your scholarship. I'm not interested in your career. I'm not interested in your business because you are not interested in me. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you make me first, I will make you first. And so, his anger. He says, we're experiencing your anger. We're experiencing your anger. Verse number 8, you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Here's what you have, you have done. Our, 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 our iniquities, you have set them before you. Our sin, our mess and everything, you have set them right before you. And secret sins in the light of your presence. And so those things that we thought we were hiding, those things that we do by ourselves. You know there are some sins we see in ourselves. Amen. There are some things in there. That God. See, the problem with many of us, we think sin is when you do something. We think sin is when you cast somebody out. Say those four letter words or whatever. We think that's sin. No, no, no. With God's way of doing things, sin is inside. It's in your heart. No, no, no. It's not when you turn to that page, that pornographic page on that internet, whatever. It's not then. No, no. It's when you actually are thinking of it. And so he says, even our secret sins, they are before your presence. Other versions say, they are before your face. I don't know about you, but one of the things that God used to change me was a brother of mine. Brother in Christ. Who would call me Saturday mornings to check on me? And usually it was checking on me if I didn't go out and get drunk Friday night. I tell you. That phone call, if I messed up and went out Friday night, I would feel so much shame. I have let God down. I've let my brother down. I've been acting like I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really not that. I, I feel ashamed. Now, imagine shame before another human being is like that. How much more shame before God? The writers of the New Testament, they say that when he when he returns, that we may not be ashamed before him. Living our lives in such a way that we're not ashamed before him. And he says, here's what you have done, here's what you have done, Lord. Our secret sins, you have brought them before your face. Verse number 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Why is that happening? Because we have sinned. We have inherited sin from Adam and Eve. 
And so our, all our days, they pass under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. So when you count your years, and you come to the end of your years, it's just like sighing. <sighs> end of story. See, you and I should stop lying to ourselves. We don't have long to live here. We don't have long to live here. Life is short. And this short life is really peppered along the way by God's wrath and stuff like that because this is still the fallen world. A fallen world, isn't it? Right? Watch what he says. Verse number 10, he says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Now you know the life expectancy in Malawi, right? One point in time, like some 10 years ago, it was like 39 because of the HIV AIDS pandemic. It's kind of like going up. But even 70 here, ah, maybe it's not for Malawi. He says again, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. So maybe if you're strong, maybe you live a healthy life. Maybe you don't do all those crazy things that shorten your life. You know, some of this stuff that we say, oh, it's fun. It's really not fun because it cuts on your life. If you're going to be a drunk, getting drunk every other day, you won't live long. You will not live long. And especially if you go for these sachets and all these crazy things that are happening. I give you five years, you're dead. I mean, some of this is just common sense, isn't it? And of course, we should watch out because, you know, there are some people that say, no, 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 you should stop, you should become a, you should stop drinking and so you should become a Christian. As if Christianity is a means of stopping to drink. Any wise person can come at a point of saying, look, this stuff doesn't work, man. Let me ditch this stuff. Let me ditch the cigarettes. I'm going to get lung cancer anyway. Says no, even when you're strong, your life comes to 80. Says yet their spun is but toil and trouble. So your whole life, what is it? Toil and trouble. He says they are soon gone and we fly away. I like the preacher in Ecclesiastes. He says, ah, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is vanity, everything is vain, everything is just like vapor. I mean, what does it profit a man that you would go out there and work really hard, build a business over your life, and then you pass it on to your son who doesn't even deserve it, and in about five years he blows it all. <laughs> vanity of vanity, you know it happens. Some of you are so busy accumulating money. Some of you, of you are so busy accumulating accolades. Some of you are so busy trying to get things. Those things, you shall leave them here. Amen. Naked you came, naked you're going to go. See, let's be real with this life. Right? Nice looking as you are, you came naked. And it's just because we like you that we'll put you in that casket in a nice suit. And I want to remind again those of you that don't like putting on suits on Sunday, like Mr. Antam. On that day, whether you like it or not, you will go into that. He will say, no, no, we should give him a dignified funeral. <laughs> so you'll have a suit, a tie. You didn't even choose which suit. But here's my point. We will all come to an end and this life is short. And it is because we are sinners.
Watch what he says again in verse number, number 11. He says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? He says, when somebody considers your power, your anger, and the wrath that is coming from you, and considers that, that from the fear of you, it's going to make sense. It's going to make sense. Because a holy God cannot allow unholiness to exist in his universe. A holy God cannot allow unholiness to exist in his universe. A holy God, if he's going to be just, he must punish sin. Amen. God must punish sin. If God does not punish sin, God is not holy. In fact, God is not just. God has become unjust if he does not punish sin. What does it mean for you and for me? It means we should watch out. We should watch out because it is only when we accept his grace, when we accept what he has done for us in Christ Jesus, that now we move from his wrath and anger and we come into his joy and his eternal life. See, these are the building blocks of a life that is full. God is eternal. God is just. And finally, God is gracious. So he is eternal. He is just. He will not look at sin and tolerate sin. Oh, but thank God he is gracious. You see, grace means that somebody does to you not like you deserve. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace, mercy, very something. Mercy is when, not when you have done right, but when you have done wrong. Amen. And so watch what it says here, verse number 12. It says, so teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, when we think, oh, yesterday is like a thousand years before you. Oh, Lord, you are from everlasting to everlasting. Before everything was created, you were there. Then we start thinking, okay, uh, I need wisdom so that I can number my days. Let's just say that average life expectancy is 80. And we're putting at 80 because, you know, you probably don't drink as much, <laughs> don't do as many crazy things, and so you're getting better and... Yeah, probably you're going to live some healthy, semblance of a healthy life. And let's just say you have 80 years. So, minus your age to 80, that's how long you will live with a good life. Right? So, you are 40, you have 40 more to go. You are 30, you have... 50 more to go. So he says, wisdom, in light of God's eternity, and in light of God's justice and his judgment and wrath and anger and living in a fallen world, wisdom will say, let me number my days. Let me number my days. Let me see what it is that I shall do with my remaining years. Do you know successful people don't stumble into success? I was hearing on BBC listening to a program and it was on uh, the Williams sisters, the tennis players. Apparently their dad, when they were about three years old, he bought them tennis rackets 
and made sure that they went to tennis school from the time that they were little. And as far as their dad was concerned, they were going to be tennis players, professional tennis players. Oh, and have they done a good job of it, isn't it? Do you think that was by chance? That, you know, one of those William sisters at age 18 decides, oh, I, li I, li I think I like tennis. And so I'm going to start playing tennis. No, 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 no. You see, for those of you that live life spontaneously, you're in for a big surprise. Some of you that move by the Spirit. Some of you are like that, just by the Spirit. Those of you that are moving by the Spirit. I know God is going to choose the career for me. He doesn't do that. You choose the career for you. Amen. See, this psalm helps us to navigate the waters of life and be real. Some people are just too spiritual there of no earthly good. I will pray, we'll pray, we'll pray. Yes, there are things we pray for and things God does, but there are things that we do ourselves. And so he says, teach us to number our days. Meaning to say, when I start numbering my days, there will be intentionality in my heart. I will live with a purpose. I'll start asking myself, what do I want to spend my whole life doing? And then I'll say, ah, oh, I don't think that's a thing that adds value to me. I don't think that's what I'm called to do. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend my life uh, studying engineering and being an engineer when I know that God has called me into the ministry. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, 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 to dedicate my life to the things that God has for me. And so if I am called into ministry, it's the ministry stuff that I'm going to do. When God called me, Bible college, fourth year, when I went to Bible college, I was not going to be a pastor because I never felt the call to be in ministry. And so my plan at that point in time, because you see, I went to Bible college because when I got born again, I started a magazine, a Christian magazine for young people. And along the way, I realized I don't know much. And so I need more of an education. That's how I ended up at Africa Bible College. And so when I was there, I was really like the guy in, in media doing transworld radio programs and stuff like that in the fourth year and at that point in time God had just connected me to a brother and this brother had found a place for me for school for a master of arts in communications very good place very good school and he had connections there. the forms came the day after I had heard God say listen I'm calling you into ministry and I had to tell him bro listen uh, sorry, I, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, God has called me to ministry. Maybe if it was seminary or something, I, I, I'll do it, but uh, I can do it, but not that. Why? I'm not going to spend my time studying things that God hasn't called me to do. Why? I only have limited time. And you see, that's the other thing. How much time do you have to play around? Some of you are too old to be playing around. Teach us. To number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom where will you be five years from now what do you want to be doing five years from now ten years from now what will you be doing 15 years from now where will you be what will you be doing 20 years from now what will you be doing 30 years from now what is it that you'll be doing 50 years from now what is it that you'll be doing when you die what should we write on your tombstone on your tombstone because we should write something. Here lies so and so. Isn't it? Yes. 
That's living with intentionality, living with a purpose, because God has a purpose for your life. God has a destiny for you, and he expects that you'd have this heart of wisdom that says, the reason I exist, the reason I am here is to do such, such a thing. Friend, if you cannot do that, you are not living intentionally. You are not living with purpose. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. And so this is a call on God now. A call on God to say, Lord, look at our situation, please. And watch, it's capital L-O-R-D, right? That's Jehovah, that's the covenant name of God. So they're calling on covenant and saying, Lord, according to the covenant, how long will you allow us to be like this? Have pity on us. Visit us again. Watch. Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. So what's steadfast love? Covenant love. He said. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. In the morning, let us know that we're in covenant with you. In the morning, let us know that we have a relationship with you. Yes, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. I tell you, when stuff is going right between you and God, oh, there's a joy that comes upon you. No, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about happiness that comes out of circumstance. Happiness, happenstance. Uh -uh. I'm talking about joy. In spite of the situations that you're going through, in spite of the fact that stuff is working out for you you can still have joy because you know whom you have believed in and he says in the morning may you satisfy us give us a satisfaction not because we have lots of money not because we are the best looking whatever no satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days because we'd come at a point of knowing you love us you care for us you sent your son to die for us how if you, will give, if you won't stop at giving your own son, how will you not with him give us all things? Says, make us glad for as many days as, we, as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. He's saying, restore us. Restore us for as many days as we have been disobedient. Yes, restore us as many days as, as things have not worked out. Oh, I'm here to tell somebody, God is able to turn your life around. He's able to turn your life around. You may be there and say, listen, I'm 35 years old and it doesn't look like my life is coming to anything. And I really feel bad, especially with this, with this kind of sermon. Teach me to number my days. I've wasted my life. Oh, listen, you have not wasted your life. If you bring it to Christ, if you come to Christ, if you commit it to God, you have not wasted your life. He is able to restore. In fact, he's the God of restoration. His grace restores. Oh, don't look at yourself and look down on yourself and look at, that, at, at those younger people that seem to be going places and you feel like I'm not going anywhere. No, 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 no. God has a path for you. God has a path for you. God has a path for you. Don't compare yourself with your friends, who you are with in school or in college, wherever, and start thinking that, listen, we were together there, but there, there they are, up there. Uh-uh. Don't look to people. Look to God. Look to God. He's the one that can turn things around for you. Hallelujah. See, many of us really are living in shame. We're living in the shame of our failures. We have failed. We have failed. And we have come at a point of seeing ourselves as failures. No, you're not a failure. 
You are not a failure. God can turn that thing around. God can restore you. Oh, you mean he's going to give me as much money as my friend? Not exactly, but he'll give you joy. Listen, money you can have and money you can lose. Amen. Money you can have, money you can lose. In fact, money you will have and money you will lose. When you get out of this life, you will not go out here with money. You never hear at a funeral that, oh, you know, this person that has died, they had so many millions in FDH account, they had so much there, they had so much there. I mean, it's all useless, he's dead, isn't it? It's useless. I mean, you can have all your degrees. You can have so many degrees, the whole alphabet is after your name. But you die, and what will you do with those qualifications? You get it? So I'm talking about the things that only God can restore. The joy that only comes from God. And the joy that we, with which we can live a life that is full in the earth. And so he says, or the psalmist says here again. Verse number 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. And your glorious power to your children. Let your work, let your power, very same thing. Let your miracles be shown to your servants. Let us see your power. Let us see you do stuff that, you know, we can never do by ourselves. See, miracles are for things that you can't do by yourself. You don't need a miracle to tie your shoelaces, do you? No, it's the things that you can't do. The things that you have failed at. The things that you have entrusted to God and said, Lord, please, I want to do this thing for you. God says, listen, I can turn that thing around and bring it to pass. And so the psalmist is saying, please, Lord, let your power be seen by your servants and let your glorious power to their children. Verse number 17, let the favor of the Lord God be upon us. Favor ain't fair. Amen. Tell your neighbor, favor ain't fair. So you give somebody 200 kwacha. And then you give somebody 20,000 kwacha. Somebody will say, ah, but that's being favoritistic. Mm -hmm. Could be. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Listen, please show favor to us. Show something to us that we, we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be on the good side with you. With all the crazy stuff that we have done against you. With all the rebellions and all this stuff against you. We don't deserve that. But please, Lord, show favor. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us. Hallelujah. And establish the work of our hands upon us. So the favor is to establish the work of the Lord upon us. Interestingly, the word for establish is in a kind of tense in the Hebrew, which is intensifying. So, for example, one can say, he broke it. When you intensify it, he broke it completely. He broke it to pieces. <laughs> I don't know if you're catching this. He says this favor will completely establish the work of our hands. In other words, when we look at our lives, when we look at what we're about, when his favor comes upon us, we will live that full life. We will have accomplished the things that he has said that we should accomplish. But friend, it always starts with you getting on the good side with God. It always starts with you getting on the good side of God. It always starts with you saying, Lord, return. How long, oh Lord? Please, I want to come and be with you. I want to be that person that's in a good relationship with you. And it starts, of course, with Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior of our lives, isn't it? 
when Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives, and when we start following Him, God establishes the work of our hands. I don't know about you. When you die, what do you want to be? What do you want to be said about you? How oh, you know that person liked reggae music? Really? That's all? What did they do? Oh no, you know that person had 20 children from seven different mothers. Really? What do you want to be said about you when you die? See, God establishes the work of our hands. In other words, you can work by your hands or work by yourself, but what you work on can never be established. Very possible. I mean, how many Malawian businessmen have we heard of that accumulated money, accumulated properties, did very well, you know, big business people, and yet when they died five years down the road, there was nothing. I mean, how would that person feel if they were to be resurrected from the dead and come and see, you know, the, the kind of life that their, their children and, and, and their grandchildren are living? I mean, it would be shameful, isn't it? With God, He establishes the works of our hands. He establishes our lives. May we be wise people. May we be wise people that number our days. May we be wise people that live intentionally, that have plans for our lives, that have goals for our lives, that have an agenda for our lives. Because friend, if you don't have an agenda, somebody will have an agenda for your life. May we be those people that are living intentionally. Here's what I want you to do when you go home tonight. Spend some 30 minutes thinking about your life. 30 minutes thinking about your life. Where you have come from. Where God has taken you from. Where you are right now. And also to say, where am I supposed to go? And then to start the plannings five years from now, this is what I want to do. 10 years from now, this is what I want to do. 15 years from now, this is what I want to do. I tell you, my friend, if we start living like that, oh, we will never be the same. See, people think, people think you can create wealth in just one generation. Wealth takes generations, takes living intentionally. What we see in this town, these buildings, these are generations. These are generations. It is money that has come from one generation, passed on to another generation, passed on to another generation. And here's my question to you. What will you pass on to the next generation? What will you pass on to the next generation? I want to get married, I want to get married. Okay, when you get married and you have children, what will you pass on to them? Some of us are just thinking about the marriage bed. Uh-uh. There are responsibilities to it, isn't it? And so, if we're going to be salt and light in this society, we need to be people that are living intentionally, 
people that are planning our lives and people that are saying, I'm moving from here and I'm going to get there. I really don't know how I'm going to get there, but Lord, probably you open a door for me. You bring people into my life that will help me get to the next level, but I'm going to push on because that's what I want to be. That's what I believe you have called me to be. And I tell you, when God finds somebody with that kind of a spirit, God bumps that person up. May you learn to number your days. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.